Hello and welcome to the sermon of Sunday the 17th of January. Due to microphone problems on this week's sermon, we've had to turn to the backup recording device, so the quality of the audio for this sermon is slightly lower than normal. Apologies for that. Thank you. Our first reading is from 1 Peter 1, beginning at verse 3, which you'll find at page 1217 in the Pew Bible. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, for now, for a little time, you may have to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 40, beginning at verse 43, which is at page 1068 in your Bibles. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you'll never believe. But the royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. And then Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. And when he inquired as to the time when his son had got better... They said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. This is the gospel of Christ. 
Graham, why don't you come and join me for a, for a moment? This is, this is Graham. So Graham is the, Graham is the general director of Christians in Sport. You've flown in for the weekend. So Graham, tell us a bit about yourself first. Well, uh, I live in Cambridge, but it doesn't sound like it. And I have lived in Cambridge for 30 something years. Uh, but I grew up in a much nicer part of the United Kingdom called Wales. Um, and I'm on the staff of a church in Cambridge and also work for Christians in sport. So that's a bit of a background. So, t- so tell us a bit about, I think you're the general director of Christians in sport, aren't you? What does that mean? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> what? I, I became a follower of Jesus as a young footballer. Uh, I played professionally for very important teams, Cardiff and Cambridge, the dross of English football, Welsh and English. But I, I met Jesus because a boy who was a very good sportsman at school said he was a Christian when he was an 18-year-old boy. I was 15, and I asked him what he did at the weekend, and he said, I went to church. I said, why did you go to church? He said, because I followed Jesus. I didn't know, even in 1970s Wales, I didn't know anybody who went to church who played sport in my little world, tiny world. So I guess, beyond any nouns or titles, Christians in sport, and Nick Ferraby works here on the island, it's just boys and girls, women and men, who happen to play sport, being willing to tell their friends who may never have met a sportswoman who knows Jesus, that Jesus changes your life. So beyond titles, that's all it does. Mm-hmm. Nothing less or more. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious now, because you didn't tell me yesterday you played football. Ah. So, so what position did you play? Uh, substitute mostly, but when I, <laughs> when, when, I was, when I was playing, I know you're going next. I did play against Middlesbrough. Yeah, I did, because we, we were in... Um, I played left side-ish, anywhere on the left, and... Uh, I overlapped with Middlesbrough being in the, what was then the second division in the middle, early middle 80s. So I played there. And did you go to Essen Park at all? Uh, what is that? Is that your name of your home ground? It was. It was. Well, I would have, yeah. Yeah. You know what? If it was, I might have seen him play. Because, you know, I started... Sorry, it's a bit of... Um, we won't put this on the thing. But actually, I started to go to Middlesbrough. I went to see my first Middlesbrough game, actually, when they were in that second division. Of right. course, this year is going to be the year when we go back to the Premier yes. League, of yes, course. Yes, you probably will. I so, will. Um, but yes, I might have seen you play. Oh. Well, only for the last ten minutes. Yeah, yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, I can well believe it. Yeah. Well, Graham, why don't we pray for Graham, and then we'll, Graham will come and speak to us about this passage this morning. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for Graham. We thank you for his witness for you. We thank you for the way in which you've, you've worked through his life and the difference that you've made to his life. So Lord, as we now hear a passage of someone else who you made a difference to, may you speak through him, through this passage, to make a difference to our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've got that passage in front of you on 1068, um, let's have a look at it. That's the thing to do. Now, it's a joy to join in in the series, um, and uh, I've seen what's happening in these, 
It's a joy to join in the series, and I've seen what's happening in these few weeks. You're looking at some of the signs in John's Gospel, uh, and all we need to know, really, it's very exciting when you work this out. John's structures, you know, John would have sat down many years after the Lord Jesus had risen, and he said, well, I better write this down. So either he or in a community, they write it down, and really just structures 21 chapters around seven miracles. So you get seven miracles, and all the narrative, all the stories that follow, are explaining the miracles. That's how you read John's Gospel. Last week we looked at the first sign, or signpost, or miracle, which was uh, the, uh, the turning water into wine in Cana in chapter 2. Today we look at the second, the healing of this government official's son. What's crucial is that in between the miracles, there's all kinds of debate and dialogue with people, where John unpacks the meaning of Jesus. Most importantly, at the end of John's Gospel, in chapter 20 and verse 31, we, who are alive today, we can look back on all seven signs of Jesus' Lordship. And we can read all the narrative that goes on that John writes for us, knowing this. This is how John ends his Gospel. And this isn't for those out there, this is this Sunday morning, I'm here, I'm normally in Cambridge on a Sunday morning, and as I stand here and as you sit so far willing to listen as we look at the passage in a moment, here's what John writes for us in John 20, 31. Jesus did many other miraculous signs, not just seven, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But, says John to us, the reader, today's sign is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, you, not the person next to you or behind you or in front of you, you corporately might believe that you have life. Now listen to this, this is why John wrote the miracles, the signs, the stories, the book, so that you and I, the reader this morning, might have life. Not even just church, life. Life in his name. So as we look at this story for a few minutes, shall we keep remembering, this story is written, it's the second of seven signs, miracles, And when we read it this morning, it's written so that you and me may walk out of meeting together, this once a week when we come together, so that whatever age or background, we might walk out saying, I have got life because of Jesus. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes. You know, I know I'm I'm getting on a bit. I know the score, I know kids and work and life and ups and downs. I know that, but we meet in church to remind ourselves that it's true. So that we can crack on for another week. Now, hold your Bibles open and I will get into the story in just a second. But there's some brilliant things we've got to know here. Look at chapter 3 verse 36 at the end of chapter 3. This is after the first sign. In chapter 3, Jesus meets Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus is a big cheese. He is on the Jewish cabinet. He is in the government. He is a man worth knowing. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, How do I find eternal life? And at the end of John chapter 3, read this, 36, John the Baptist says, but summarizes the whole of the chapter, 
Whoever believes or trusts in Jesus in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Here's the deal. These things are written that you might... Let's swap the word belief for trust. Because belief might mean you just believe it in your head. Belief's a funny word, isn't it? Well, I believe the gospel. Do I trust the gospel? It's a different word. It's just a different translation of the Greek. These things are written that you and I this morning might trust that Jesus is the Christ in our life. John the Baptist says at the end of chapter 3, after the Nicodemus story, whoever trusts in Jesus has eternal life. And then in chapter 4, flip the chapter, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman. Now, listen real close. Jewish government council member to Samaritan woman who's been sleeping around. She's had five husbands. The guy she's with now is the husband. She meets Jesus. She believes in Jesus. And at the end of chapter 4, verse 39, she takes Jesus back to her Samaritan village, the enemies of the Jews. She has trusted Jesus. And a Samaritan woman, this is as far as the East is from the West. Jewish council member believes. You see what John's saying to us? The high and mighty can believe. The lowest of the lowest, Samaritan, the enemy of Israel, a woman who is really considered immoral in her culture, and in 39 of chapter 4, this is what happens. She takes Jesus home to her village, and it says many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This man told me everything I ever did. Imagine this woman was considered a slut... In her community, nobody wants to touch her, go near her. She walks into town and says, Ladies and gentlemen, everybody run. I've just met a bloke who told me everything I ever did. And they probably said, yeah, all right. I bet that was a tale. But look what happens. Her life has changed. Verse 40, when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, here's the key phrase for John. Many of those present became... Believers, believers, trust Jesus. John wants everybody to trust Jesus. And he says, even the Samaritan villagers believe in Jesus. Look at 41. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We now know for ourselves that this man really is the saviour of the world. So you see, as we come to the second sign... You've got to see John's signs in their context. All this is written that you and I might believe that Jesus is the Christ and of life. And after the first sign, Nicodemus finds life. Then this woman, who's really unacceptable socially, believes in Jesus and finds life. Then her neighbours find life. The gospel advances. Guess what the gospel is this morning? Jersey. It's even reached winds. <laughs> no, but it's true, isn't it? There's people who have met Jesus Christ. I met a boy on a bus who just said to me, what, I said, what do you do at the weekend? Played cricket, went to church. He went to church. Why? He said, boy, he's captain of cricket. He's captain of rugby. He's got a beard. <laughs> Why would he follow Jesus? Mysterious, odd, weird. Weird, but he believed Jesus, he trusted Jesus. That's why we read John's Gospel. Now, today's story is just in alignment with this. Here it is, verse 43. 
of chapter 4. After two days, Jesus left Samaria. So he hung out in that town for two days. Imagine what that was like. That was a Bible study, wasn't it? Hanging out with the Samaritans. And then he leaves. Now, Jesus had pointed out, 44, that a prophet has no honour in his own country as he heads home to Galilee. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover. He had gone to Jerusalem where he met Nicodemus. For they also had been there. They had been to Jerusalem for the big festival. After Cana, down to Jerusalem, big festival, via Samaria, back home. Once more, he visited Canaan, Galilee, 46, where he had turned water into wine. And now here's the second sign. But you'll now get the second sign immediately, if you're able to get my accent for the first few minutes. (laughs) You'll now get the second sign immediately. It's all about believing that Jesus is the Christ, trusting that Jesus is the Christ, taking the tiniest step of faith and going, is Jesus the Christ? Is Jesus? Yes, he is. And when you believe him, you have life and you pass the message on. Watch what happens in the story. Here's what happens. And there was a certain royal official, 46, whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. We're not told if this official was a Jew or a Gentile, or his exact job in Herod's government. But if he had a job in Herod's government... He was a big man. An important court official ran 20 miles to Jesus. 20 miles. It was sensational. It's a government official running to a carpenter who's uneducated. Sensational behaviour. And he gets to Jesus. But you know what? You see, this is belief. He doesn't really care how stupid he looks. All he cares about is that this man can do something for his boy. It doesn't really matter why we come to Jesus, first of all. Have you noticed this? You know the times you pray the most is when it's really rubbish, isn't it? When it's really falling apart. Do you think the Lord Jesus is there going, naughty boy? He's going, hello. You want to trust me on this? Go, please help me. His arms are so wide open. This man has no embarrassment. He runs to Jesus. A 20 mile run. Way over a half marathon, isn't it? It's a good run. He gets there. Look at what Jesus says in 48. He's so rude. Jesus is incredible, really, when you read the gospel closely. You know, you think Jesus might have said, good man, well done. Look what he says, 48. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. Oh my goodness. Is that a rebuke? No. He sees crowds around him. There are people around him. And in chapter 2 of John's Gospel, in Jerusalem, some people said to Jesus, prove to us that you are the Christ. And he said, okay, destroy the temple and I'll raise it in three days, in the middle of John chapter 2. They say it took 46 years to build a temple. Don't be ridiculous. And John says he was talking about his own body. Kill me and I'll rise. Lots of people try to get Jesus to prove himself. And he says to those people, all you're interested in is in the glamour. You don't really want to bow your knee and trust me, do you? And he looks at the man as if he's talking to the crowd and says, there's a lot of you who want to see the glamour. And you try to put me on the spot. 
I'm not interested in that. And he must have looked straight at the bloke. And look what the bloke says, 49. Sir, he can't be bothered to debate this. He says, sir, come before my child dies. He's not there to test Jesus, check him out, prove him wrong, make him look. He just says, look. And John wants us to see this this morning. Look, I can trust you, can't I? With my pain, with my agony, with my despair, with my fears, with my dreams. With my... Can I trust you, Jesus? I will trust you. And look what happens next. Jesus replies, you may go, your son will live. Well, what would you have done? You'd gone, well, can you write that down for me? <laughs> can I get my lawyer on this one? How hard must it have been to turn round and go back 20 miles? He does. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. See, here's the point, and forgive me for being, as a guest, be, being on the front foot. But John wrote the gospel to say these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing of life in his name. He wrote it so that when the seven signs were finished and Jesus was risen and the spirit had come, women and men like you and I might meet on a Sunday morning or indeed at a sports club or at work in the office tomorrow or at school and we might say, I can trust the Lord Jesus Christ. He has died, he has risen, he will return and he has come to give me life. Life now and life that lasts forever. Yes, even while I cry. Yes, even while it's tough. My Lord Jesus Christ is trustable. That's why we read the gospel at church. He took Jesus at his word. We know more than this man. We know Jesus beat death. We know he's coming back. We know the spirit has come. We could take Jesus at his word. But we can even today. Because he loves us. And he is committed to us and he is for us. And he yearns that in the ups and downs of next week, we will trust him because he gave it all and he's not going away. And of course Jesus delivers. When Jesus was here, anything he said or touched turned to gold if he chose it. God was here. No wonder people got well when God was actually on the planet. Of course things changed in an instant because the very creator was on the planet. That may not happen quite like that now. But that very creator is risen and alive and you can trust your life to him and he will never drop you. Look how it ends. 51. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time his son got better, they said the fever left him at uh, the seventh hour yesterday. Then the father realized this was the exact time at which Jesus said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. Notice that line. Here's my last thought. 53. The father realized this was the exact time at which the son had said to him, Jesus had said to him, your son will live. It should really have then gone on to 54. This was the second sign. But it doesn't. Look at the clause in between. So he and all his household believed. Do you see what John's writing for us? Seven signs leading to one sign. The death and resurrection of Christ and his return. 
What does he want for you and I when we read what he had for the man? That he and his household trust Christ. On Sunday by Sunday as we meet here, here's the deal. As we break bread, take wine. As we confess, as we praise, here's the deal. John's focus is on you and me trusting Christ. Trusting Christ is what matters. Nothing matters more. These things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing have life today in his name. That's the point of the story. And I just want to remind you of a final thought. With these two signs in hand, we have seen a top official in the government, Nicodemus, come to Christ. We have seen the scum of society in their eyes, the Samaritans, and a loose woman in their eyes, which in that culture would have been disgraceful, come to Christ. We have now seen a government official, who could be a Jew or a Gentile, in a famous household, come to Christ. Here's the deal. The gospel can go anywhere. Where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you go to school? Who are your pals? Who are your neighbours? Belief isn't just for us. The gospel message has been described as one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Somebody told me about the Lord Jesus in the simplest way. He was like me. He was a sportsman. Who's like you this week? Who will you see this week who hasn't had the privilege of believing, of even hearing, of even thinking about these things that we've read about today? So a closing question, split into two parts. Number one, if this were true, if this were true, my dear partner in the room, if this were true, what would you do differently this week? Go on, don't just show up again next week. If this were true, what would you do differently this week if this were true? And second, if it were true, who's got to know? Who's got to know? That's why John wrote. That's why the signs are there. <laughs> and that's why the gospel is magnificent. For another week, eh? Amen. Isn't it? For another week. Amen.